咁啊 green economy、digital economy、fintech all this。Uh, all this, I think,、uh, on the financial side, there's a big room for Hong Kong to develop in the future. And, and tell me a little bit about the SMEs. They they obviously need support at the moment. The economy is、uh, going through a difficult time. We're now third contraction now since 2019. What can you do at the chamber, and what can the government do to try and help and support some of these SMEs? Uh, I think with support of Hong Kong government, I think they've done a lot already. What、uh, what we need to wait is to open the border with the mainland, because most of the SME, their factories, their business in the GBA,、uh, at the moment,、um, some of them they haven't been there for almost two years already. I think it's quite difficult.、Uh, the most important point for the SME today is to open the border. Okay, and finally, let me ask you about、um, young people. Young people are suffering、uh, particularly badly in this economic downturn. Both here in Hong Kong and on the mainland, one in five、uh, young people are out of work on the on the mainland. What can we do、uh, to try and get young people to buy in more to the Greater Bay Area and and provide opportunities for them?、Uh, I think the、uh, both government, both Hong Kong government and、uh, GBA government, they need to work together. Most importantly, is open the border. Because we always、uh, tell the young people to go there, but they can't.、Uh, that is the most difficult things. Secondly, when they are there, they will treat the same as the local. Another point is、uh, the tax、uh, is a big problem. Hong Kong people, Hong Kong tax, and I think they should be、uh, treated same as local,、uh, so they will attract them to go there. So the main points that seems to come out from all of this is we need to get the borders open. Yes, correct. Okay, thank you very much. Okay, thank、And、you. That's Dr. Jonathan Choi, who's permanent honorary president of the Chinese General Chamber of Commerce in Hong Kong. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio Three. Let's take a final quick look at the markets for this morning in Australia. First of all,、uh, the ASX 200 is down about 0.6 percent. The Nikkei 225 in Japan slipping 1.1 percent.、Uh, the Kospi in South Korea also down over 1 percent. Looks like the Hang Seng、uh, is going to open about 60 points lower or so、uh, in just over an hour's time.、Uh, coming up after the news is back chat, and then、uh, let me give you an update on the weather forecast for today. Mainly cloudy, a few showers, hot with sunny intervals during the day. Maximum temperature around 32 degrees. A few showers in the next couple of days. It's 26 degrees right now, 96% relative humidity. Times 8:32. Here's Andrew Shrosky with the half-hour news. Thanks, Peter. Hong Kong has reported 5,757 new COVID cases, of which nearly 200 were imported. Four more COVID patients have died. Health officials say almost 1,900 patients are being treated in hospital. Ten of them in intensive care. The Center for Health Protections, Dr. Albert Au, said the number of elderly people with COVID is bound to rise as cases increase. He again called on the elderly to get vaccinated. In the past two weeks, there are over 15,000 elderly aged 16 years or above infected with COVID. So we encourage the elderly living in the community to receive vaccinations as soon as possible. And if they have symptoms, they must seek medical care or consultation, and also do testing so that if they are really infected, they can receive treatment as early as possible. A man has been charged with disclosing the personal information of his former girlfriend without her consent. It's the second time charges have been laid under the anti-doxing law, which came into effect last October. Kelly Yu has details.
According to the Office of the Privacy Commissioner for Personal Data, the 26-year-old suspect and the complainant had a short relationship before breaking up. He is suspected to have disclosed her personal data on four social media platforms in October 2021. He is also accused of impersonating her to open accounts on some of those platforms, inviting people to visit her at her home. The man was arrested in June and faces a total of seven charges. He's been granted bail ahead of his court appearance next Thursday. A research officer with the Hong Kong Birdwatching Society says urban redevelopment could pose a threat to the sparrow population. A survey by the group in May showed a population of 287,000 sparrows, which was a 36% increase over last year. John Chung told RTHK that during breeding season, the birds favor Hong Kong's older districts, where they can nest on pipes and crevices that may not be found on new buildings. Found that they do have a preference on old towns as well as urban parks, and we particularly found that for the commercial areas which have buildings with floor-to-ceiling windows and with less crevices or pipes, we don't find that much sparrows over these commercial areas. So maybe the urban redevelopments could pose a potential threat to the sparrow population in the future, but we can't say for sure that. Following her emphatic defeat on Tuesday in Wyoming's Republican state primary, the U.S. Congress member Liz Cheney said she would continue to battle to stop Donald Trump returning to the White House. The three-term congresswoman was beaten by a Trump-backed candidate, Harriet Hageman. The news from RTHK. Good morning and welcome to Back Chat. I'm Janice Wong and my co-host today is Jenny Lam. Good, Good morning, everyone. Good morning. On today's Back Chat, we're talking about animal welfare as some veterinary clinics run low on staff. Some clinics we spoke to say the vet shortage is directly affecting pets, with some owners having to wait weeks for non-emergency surgeries. So, how serious is the problem? Have you been affected? What can be done to address the issue? After 9:15, we'll speak to the Bird Watchers Society. About their latest census, that has recorded a 36% increase in one of Hong Kong's most popular species. Let us know your thoughts, your questions, and your comments on our Facebook page, Backchat at RTHK Radio 3. You can email us at backchat at rthk dot hk, or you can call us, of course, and our number is two three three eight eight two six six. We'd love to hear from you. Now, to kick off our discussion this morning, we have on the line Sally Anderson, the founder of Hong Kong Dog Rescue. And Dr. Paul Essie, the chief veterinarian at Wan Chai Animal Hospital. Good morning to the both of you, and uh, thank you very much for joining us on the program.、Um, let's start with you, Miss Anderson.、Um, has it、uh, been more difficult recently getting appointments with vets? All right, all right. I will be getting Miss、um, Anderson very shortly.、Um, maybe we go to you first,、uh, Dr. Essie.、Um, what's your assessment of the situation? Well, Janet, I think it's multifactorial.、Um, <clears throat> there's many things that are causing it.、Uh, it's not just a question of okay, you know,、um, are they vets leaving leaving the workforce? Are they vets leaving Hong Kong? Yes, most definitely. But what are the what are the reasons behind it? What's driving it?、Um, you know, the most obvious thing is obviously the the COVID restrictions and the COVID lockdowns staring us in the face.、Uh, that by far is one of the biggest. 
causes of veterinarians leaving Hong Kong. The impact that it's having on pets and the general public is specialist services and a lot of general general practice services have become uh, almost uh, out of reach. If you want to receive specialist uh, facilities or you want to receive specialist consultations, at some facilities, clients are waiting more than one month for an appointment. All right. So let's... Right, and this, this is obviously impacting animal welfare. All right. Let's just go back to, to Miss Anderson, who has uh, joined us. Uh, good morning, Miss Anderson. Good morning. Thanks for joining us this morning. Um, so just now, uh, Dr. Essie, he's uh, saying that some um, pet owners, they have to wait for more than a month to, uh, to get an appointment with their vets. Uh, what's the situation like at uh, Hong Kong Dog Rescue? It, has it been more difficult uh, getting appointments with vets? Um, yes, I mean, the, the, I think that the, there's several reasons for it, but uh, uh, we have, um, we used to work with basically one clinic, and now we work with three clinics so that we can make sure that we can get um, an appointment to for those cases. Yeah, so... Um, we need to do that. So, Sally, um, you know, uh, the, 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 the one place that I take my dogs when there's an emergency would be the SPCA. And mm. they have been very good. They, I mean, they run a 24-hour, you know, 24-7 clinic. Um, is, has that been affected? Uh, well, SPCA isn't generally one of the clinics that we use. And because we, we don't operate through the night, so, um, you know, we, we don't go to... Uh, those 24-hour clinics generally, but uh, we do use other clinics for um, those sorts of emergencies. So you're talking about more the, the, the sort of smaller operation private vets? That is there, is well, there a shortage of that? To be honest, there aren't many private vets left. Um, a, a few years ago, there was a big sort of corporate buyout of all the individual um, vet clinics and this is one of the causes I think of, of a lot of the problems um, and it's actually very difficult to find a, a, a private vet clinics you know that's owned and run by individual vets now they're mostly corporate. T tell us more about this buyout what was it exactly? Well um, it's it's Previously, um, most of the vet clinics were set up by individual vets and then run by those vets, which meant that you had a very a personal um, relationship with the vets and they knew you and they knew the dogs and or the you know the cats whatever. Um, and then the corporates, big corporates, came in and started to buy out these clinics, and then um, obviously. It became much more a sort of financial thing where it's, you know, a money-making concern, to be honest. And so they started to entice vets away from other clinics, smaller clinics with, with you know, higher, higher salaries and, and so on. So when you went to see the vet, you, you know, you couldn't... It was more of a, well, whichever vet's on duty type of situation. Um, so... That's part of. That's only one of the the reasons why um, there's there's, cause there's a big turnover of vets, big sort of vets being enticed away by promises of high salaries from other clinics and so on. So there's a big 
movement between clinics of bits. Dr. Essie, do, do you agree? Is, has that caused a problem? The corporates are, are, are I don't necessarily see them as a, as a problem. Um, they, you know, this is a free market capitalism. People are free to do what they want to. Um, the, the biggest concern that we have is the levels of stress that are experienced by our colleagues, uh, moral distress, financial strains, uh, that vet, veterinarians are experiencing. And also, you know, let's be honest, is that, you know, uh, uh, um, we used to attract veterinarians from overseas. Hong Kong is and always will remain an exciting destination. It was uh, obviously a lot more exciting when people could travel. And this was attracting a lot of veterinarians from overseas. Uh, you know, these sort of pull factors have been eliminated. So, yes, of course you have financial factors, but you, you also have, you know, the, the general workability of, of being, being in Hong Kong has become extremely limiting for people that do want to come here and experience, you know, experience Hong Kong or experience Asia. Um, and right now, Hong Kong still is not qualifying any of their own veterinarians. This will, this will change soon with, with the City University coming, coming online in, in a few years. Uh, but, you know, I think the, the, the biggest challenge really is attracting and retaining talent. Right. Uh, Dr. Essie, I just want to get a clearer picture of uh, what's happening uh, in, in, in your sector. Um, I, I spoke yesterday to the chairman of the Nonprofit Making Veterinary mm -hmm. Services Society, and, and he told me that there are, um, they are short-staffed by around uh, 20%, and they have been uh, having difficulty recently hiring vets from Australia. Um, Dr. Essie, have you spoken to other pet clinics or hospitals? I mean, um, do you know if they are in a similar situation? Yes, most definitely. A lot of, a lot of, you know, uh, I, I'm in touch with a lot of colleagues across Hong Kong. Um, I've been here for more than 20 years. Uh, we all experiencing the, we all experiencing the same problem. So, you know, I think uh, what you need to realise is that there is a, there is a difference in skill set. So, whether you're talking about a junior veterinarian or a senior veterinarian, uh, how long, how many years have they been in practice, and what exactly it is that they're doing. Right. So, so on one side, attracting attracting an experienced skill set, i.e., a clinician with fifteen years plus experience, ten to fifteen years plus experience, is becoming almost impossible. And when that skill set is lost, for example, if that person leaves Hong Kong, you know, you you, you have a person with a lifetime of experience that can no longer disseminate that skill set to their junior colleagues. Mm -hmm. So, Sally, how does that affect the welfare of the dogs? I mean, you're with Hong Kong Dog Rescue, so presumably some of the animals that you get in are, are in sort of pretty desperate need for some medical attention. Yes, well, I mean, uh, I agree with Dr. Essay. I mean, everything he says is correct, is that it's the, um, the, the experience vets that are so difficult to... Uh, to find and of course in our situation we can only really um, use vets who have experience because we need somebody who can quickly assess and treat um, uh, you know, many cases at the same time so it, it is it is really a, a big problem which is why you know I mentioned that we we actually have to use three regular clinics so that we can always find some, um, you know, get an appointment, which would otherwise be very difficult. You know, we, we, we just have to um, use whoever, whoever can see the, the animal um, at that time.
So, so what kind of treatment or attention do do animals at uh, Hong Kong Dog Rescue usually need uh, from vets? Well, I mean, we take in all sorts. If you take in stray puppies, for example, that we picked up in the countryside, they inevitably have tick fever, which is um, a, a very serious condition when a puppy is very young. So you have to get that treated immediately, otherwise the puppy can easily die. Um, we get if we take in dogs from that have been used for breeding, for example, um, the breeders only get rid of them when they have serious problems, which means they can't continue to. Um, produce puppies and those dogs often need um, emergency surgery because they come to us in a really poor condition. So there are lots of different um, emergency cases that uh, that need experience vets. I mean that that it, that that really is something that's important. You can't take um, these cases often to a new graduate vet who doesn't have the experience and can treat them the animal quickly, which is always important for us. Yes, that really is the crux of the matter, isn't it, Sally, is the experienced veterinarian. <clears throat> you know, uh, as, as I mentioned before, it's a, it's a, you know, veterinary practice is exactly that, it's practice, and, and you know, you become skilled uh, after spending years in practice. Um, it's not so much the, 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 the younger vets, but the older vets that are choosing to leave um, and there is a, there seems to be a, a severe or an acute shortage of, of you know and I keep on coming back to this of skill set um, one of the, the, the major reasons that you know combined with the whole COVID, COVID situation has been extreme amounts of stress that our colleagues have been under you know not, not feeling rewarded uh, and then a very poor work life balance um, and these have all seemed to seem to be uh, culminating in what is really resulting in um, an acute shortage in Hong Kong, but it's also really leading to a global veterinary crisis, a workforce crisis. Right. Um, you're talking about this acute shortage. I mean, do you think um, the um, increase in demand for uh, veterinary services uh, during the pandemic uh, has also made uh, things worse? I mean, I mean, during the pandemic, more people may have uh, adopted uh, pets or or bought pets from pet shops. Uh, yes, you know, it, it leads to that sort of workforce grind. Okay, where it, it sort of adds to to workplace stresses when you when you're under pressure like that and of course then you are having to see more more patients um vets traditionally are uh, perfectionists there's a certain character or a certain person that will go into a field like this and when they can't uh, fully service their their, their their patients um or things start to things start to go haywire um mentally it really starts to affect them Ms. Anderson, I mean, do you think uh, that has put more pressure on uh, local veterinary services? Sorry, sorry, can you just do you think like the, the demand? Do you think uh, like the demand for uh, more veterinary services in Hong Kong because of uh, um, an increase in the people adopting pets has also put pressure on local veterinary services? Yes, I mean that, that that's definitely true. There's been a huge increase in the um, number of people either buying or adopting. Um, and then, of course, you know, if you if you have a, a, a dog, then or an, a, any any animal, then you're going to need to see a vet at some time, and that that in turn means you know there have to be more, more vets to 
to treat the animals. But it, it is a concern, um, and I've seen reports in in, um, in Europe, for example, or in the UK specifically, where a lot of dogs that were bought during COVID um, and are now being um, surrendered back to the animal rescues. Because, you know, you need time to take care of a dog. You can't just, if you're not at home all the time, or, or a lot of the time, um, you, you shouldn't really be, you shouldn't really have a dog. You know, it's as simple as that. But yes, there has been a huge increase in the number of dog owners, pet owners, uh, resulting in, in more vets being needed. As far as you know, has that been the trend in Hong Kong as well? People giving up on animals that they adopted during the pandemic? Um, well, well, we all, yes. I mean, we're seeing a lot of dogs being surrendered, but that's also got a lot to do with people leaving Hong Kong at the moment. There, ah. there, there's definitely been, a, a, you know, a big exodus. So, tell, um, tell us more about that. People who give up on their pets when they leave. Can you give me a sort of ballpark figure? How how much of an increase has that been? Um, it's impossible because obviously um, not everybody comes to um, HKDR, so we can't judge. You know how many people are taking their pets with them and how many are not. And sometimes it's not always a choice because um, it's quite it's very difficult at the moment to even get your dog on a flight so sometimes it's um it's not even a choice you know it's just like they, they can't do it but for us we've seen a massive increase in the number of people who are uh, leaving hong kong and not taking their dogs with them and this is uh, mainly to do with the cost is it sorry is it mainly to do with the cost of bringing the pets with them um it's the it's the cost and 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 other issues like simply um, they it takes a long time for example to get your dog into Australia and it, it, the, the six months the minimum six months that you have to wait to get your dog in you have to have somewhere if the family uh, are leaving before then they have to find somewhere to put their dog during that six months so they want to find foster homes or boarding facilities but all of the boarding facilities are full as well and they cost a lot of money too so it's it, it's really each way you look at it that it, it's a huge problem in every direction hmm. Dr. Essay, I mean, I've, I've owned dogs basically my entire life. And, and as I told Sally earlier, I generally would take them to the SPCA. And over time, uh, what, what I've seen is um, most of the uh, older vets tend to be expats the local vets tend to be younger. I would say yeah. most of them are like maybe under 35 years old. Why hasn't Hong Kong produced more vets, more local vets? Well, Janice, this is all coming online, you know, uh, uh, with the City University um, uh, Vet New Program, um, where they, I think the first graduates will be coming out in the next one or two years. Um, so there will, be, there will be local graduates. But you know, Janice, uh, Janice, you know, as Sally has mentioned, it's, you know, it's the skill set loss. So you can have younger veterinarians coming into the workforce, yes, but who's going to disseminate those skills to them? I was speaking to the director of one of the largest facilities, veterinary facilities in Hong Kong, last night, and he says in the last twelve months he's experienced almost a complete workforce turnover mm -hmm. in terms of the 
specialists, vet, veterinarians and general practitioners, that's a huge problem. What kind of specialty are we most <coughs> short of, most desperate Well, that, that, that I think City University would be, would be uh, best able to answer or, or a place like uh, the veterinary specialist hospital. But, you know, obviously uh, cardiology, surgeons, um, specialist physicians. Right. And uh, Dr. Essie, you, you, earlier you talked about how this uh, shortage of uh, vets in Hong Kong will have a big impact on, the, on animal welfare. Can, can you tell us a bit more about that? Well, yes, of course. <clears throat> you know, Janice, when, when uh, you have, as Sally so, so eloquently mentioned, you know, uh, a more experienced person that's able to assess the problem quickly and come to a solution. Okay, so you can have, have critical time that's lost uh, in trying to work up a case or eventually trying to come to a diagnosis. Um, and obviously, you know, animal welfare suffers as a result. Right. And uh, we, we, I mean, I mentioned at the start of the program that some uh, non-emergency surgeries have been delayed, uh, for example, yes. such as uh, desexing of your pets. Um, what's the risk of uh, late desexing? Females, the biggest risk that we encounter is uh, is, is breast cancer uh, going forward. That for us, for female patients, is the biggest problem. And then, obviously, for for male patients, you know, we have, they do develop prostatic issues, the same as men. Right. So, so if, um, for example, if a pet owner has to wait for, um, for example, for a month or two to get such a surgery, I mean, what advice would you have for them? Well, you know, if if it's something like desexing, you know, waiting a month or two is not really going to be So Sally, um, you mentioned earlier that most of the puppies that you pick up uh, tend to have tick fever. What happens to a dog when you don't get the um, treatment that you need as soon as possible if you have tick fever? <laughs> well, if you didn't get the treatment, then, then the puppy would almost certainly die. But um, obviously we don't leave it uh, so that, you know, the puppy dies. We do make sure that it gets to see a vet um, as a matter of urgency. And um, that, that's why we're lucky that we work with um, uh, different clinics, you know, so that if one's too busy, then, uh, then we'll, we'll uh, just, you know, go to another one. Yeah. But, but that's, that's uh, you know, we, we don't, we would never leave a dog that needed urgent treatment and just say, oh, well, you know, we can't get an appointment. We will. We will get an appointment. Yeah. So, I think your furry friends are trying to chime in at the back. Oh. Yeah. Um, can I ask, you know, you mentioned earlier that, that people leaving Hong Kong have given up on their pets, or some of them have. What happens to these animals? Well, I mean, you know, they, they, they um, I don't want to encourage people to give up their pets. That's, that's the, the main no. thing, you know, mm. that a, a lot of people find it difficult but they manage to do it you know because they think that their dog is their family so they they'll they'll do whatever it takes um but for those dogs that do come to us we i mean we're a no-kill organization that which means that we'll keep the dogs for 
forever, you know, if necessary. Obviously, we try to find them new homes, but with more, you know, with people giving up dogs, and we already have hundreds of dogs um, waiting for homes. You know, if we take in another one, then it joins the list. You know, there's, there's another dog waiting for a home. But, um, you know, we'll, we'll keep the dog for as long as long as we need to. And then, of course, then we have to get the funding, we have to raise funds to try and, um, you know, to cover the costs of keeping all of these dogs. So, so has it been just a lot harder to home them over COVID? Yes. The, 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 I mean, the, the dogs that get surrendered um, that are adults, mongrels or mixed breeds, um, you know, we've already... We've already got so many that it's, it, it's pure luck, you know, if someone comes along and chooses that particular dog. Um, the dogs, if the dogs are small, then age, age doesn't really make a difference. But certainly for the larger mixed breeds, then definitely it's very hard to find new homes. But has the situation been uh, stabilizing recently? No, not really. I mean, we're, we're getting surrender requests in all the time. Um, the only, I mean, we don't take in dogs that are aggressive. That's the, I mean, the the only time that we'll say absolutely no, that we can't take biters. All right, uh, Miss Anderson, um, uh, we have to take a short break for the news. Um, thanks again for joining us this morning. That's uh, Sally Anderson, the founder of Hong Kong Dog Rescue. Also, many thanks to uh, Dr. Paul Essay, Chief Veterinarian at the Wan Chai Animal Hospital. And uh, after the news, we will be joined by Professor Nicolaus Osterida, the Dean of the Jockey Club College of Veterinary Medicine and Life Sciences at City University. And after 9.15, we will look at the latest sparrow census by the Bird Watching Society. And a quick look at the weather, mainly cloudy with a few showers, very hot with sunny intervals. Later, the top temperature will be around 33 degrees. Winds moderate south to southeasterlies. And uh, right now, the temperature reading at the observatory is 27 degrees, relative humidity 91%. And to normal nuclear safety. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Welcome back. This is Back Chat on a Thursday morning with Jenny Lam and me, Janice Wong. Just before the news, we heard about how some pet owners are now having to wait longer for some non-emergency surgeries and uh, because uh, some veterinary clinics are short-staffed. Uh, if you want to ask questions or share your views on today's topics, remember you can email us at backchat at rchk.hk or just give us a call on 233-88266. To continue our discussion, we have on the line Professor Nicolas Osterida the Dean of the Jockey Club College of Veterinary Medicine and Life Sciences at City University. Good morning, Professor Osterida. Good morning. Thanks for joining us on the program. Um, so first of all, do you know what the situation is like at the um, CityU Veterinary Medical Centre? Is it experiencing any staff shortages? You Like everywhere around the world, and especially in Hong Kong, you have... Um, what, what I would call a perfect storm. You have an increase uh, in pets, pet ownership uh, that arose during the pandemic. And then uh, there's a shortage of, of veterinarians uh, overall uh, because of that. Of course, this is uh, exacerbated by um, the situation in, in Hong Kong where it is hard to, because of COVID restrictions, to get veterinarians in. Um, and for the ones that leave, that is what I would consider usual turnover. Um, 
specifically for uh, CityU Clinic. I mean, this is um, a CityU-owned uh, uh, enterprise, but is not uh, under control of, of the college. So um, I there, there is shortages, as in other clinics, yes, uh, but uh, I hope that this will be remedied soon. So your first batch of um, uh, vet graduates will will be ready to um, serve the community in one or two years. When, when's when's the first graduation? So one or two years. Uh, the the prospect is that in twenty twenty three we will graduate our first cohort of veterinarians. How many um, will there be? This is uh, only eleven students, but you could say it's eleven students. Um, that that will graduate. Um, uh, there is uh, a caveat, though. Um, the veterinary surgeon's registration in Hong Kong uh, is tightly regulated. So veterinarians that want to practice in Hong Kong have to come from accredited uh, schools. And uh, we are at CTU in the process of obtaining this final um accreditation we are on a very good trajectory so uh it is our expectation that our veterinary graduates will be able to uh, enter the veterinary market um, uh, in the middle uh, to the fall of next year so 11 in the first cohort what about in the following two three years so so the the following year so we we now uh, admit around uh, 30 students in, in every cohort uh, so there will be uh, 30 graduates so we we go from 11 to 15 to 24 to 30 so this is our trajectory that was uh, when it was started in 2017 that was the the plan and we following this plan very uh, strictly yeah, so in our conversation with uh, Dr. Paul Essay from Wan Chai Animal Hospital earlier, he pointed out that is the special, special, specialized skills such as cardiology and, and um, you know, surgery that uh, Hong Kong lacks. Um, yeah, how can, how can we make up for that? I mean, you know, well, it's take these students many years to become... Yes, this is a yeah. This is another issue. I mean, of course, when uh, veterinarians just graduated, they they have not yet the specialized skills. They don't have board certifications and and so on. So there, for specialization, there will be additional training required. However, this uh, shortage is uh, across the board. It's general practitioner, as as you pointed out. You know, very routine procedures such as desexing. Uh, are posing a problem. So I think we're looking at a uh, veterinary shortage uh, overall in Hong Kong, but I would also argue worldwide, uh, as I said earlier. Uh, and some clinics, uh, I think, uh, handle and manage that better than others. But uh, it is an overall problem uh, that we uh, need to address. And, and it can only be addressed by um, replenishing the pool, so to speak, uh, as used to be, you know, veterinarians were leaving Hong Kong, veterinarians were coming to Hong Kong, uh, and we're just having a little bit of an issue getting veterinarians into Hong Kong right now. Right. And uh, earlier you, you said uh, there are around uh, 30 students uh, um, yes. enrolled in your course uh, every year, and uh, that won't be enough to meet uh, the demand in Hong Kong. Um, will you be looking at increasing that number in the next few years? This is a very good question. Uh, we uh, tend, 
and and it's a very fair question. Uh, I I think you know prospectively uh, looking at, at as you say the increased demand, uh, one would have to seriously consider increasing uh, class sizes. But um, at the same time, we need to grow organically. We need to take it step by step. Uh, and I think you know if if you if you imagine that uh, about uh, you know sixty or so. Students per, or 60 veterinarians per year uh, are in training from Hong Kong. So we would need about 30 to 50 percent of that overall demand uh, with 30 students. Um, I think this is um, not solving all the problems, but contributing to solve uh, the issue of veterinary shortage. So before we can uh, have another veterinarians in Hong Kong, I mean, what, what can we do to um, to help uh, improve the situation? I mean, what can pet owners do? I mean, do they need uh, to uh, be uh, trained uh, better in, uh, in uh, taking care of their pets? Is there anything that can be done? Uh, I, I would strongly argue against that. I mean, the, the veterinary profession is, is a very respected profession and, and it's a very um, important profession, I, I would argue. So I would not feel comfortable in um, sort of on-the-job training of, of pet owners. While this is important, you know, to, to educate pet owners about uh, pet ownership, uh, I would not go as far as... Uh, having uh, procedures performed by uh, pet owners. So uh, this is, uh, veterinarians are highly skilled professionals and um, it's, uh, they are so for a very good reason uh, to protect uh, animal yeah, welfare. I understand. Animal I'm, not, I'm not suggesting that uh, pet owners have to uh, carry out the procedures themselves. I'm just uh, suggesting uh, what advice do you have for them to um, help uh, better take care of their pets, like, for example, the diets or um, grooming or, yeah, things like that? I, I mean, yeah, of, of course, you know, uh, like, like for your own health, uh, a healthy diet is, is of utmost importance. Uh, good, uh, you know, body care is, is of utmost importance and, and, and constant observation and identification of things that are uh, out of the usual, I would say, and to, to act uh, earlier rather than later. Now, earlier we were talking about how, you know, you, you're graduating about 30 vets a year and, and hopefully, you know, maybe expand that. Now, obviously, expanding the program will need more teaching staff and more facilities. Tell us what do you need in order to expand the program? That, that, is, a, that is a fair question and, and a correct statement. Um, that's why, uh, you know, what, what I said earlier, we need to grow organically. So we need to... Uh, be able to accommodate if, if we were uh, so inclined to accommodate large number of students that would require teaching space first and foremost uh, and also the, the program is government funded and, and uh, uh, it would need uh, increased uh, government funding uh, to um, to accommodate uh, the needs that is obviously arising in Hong Kong but I, I, I want to you know keep my eye on the ball that is in play right now, which is, you know, get this program accredited finally, uh, graduate our first cohort and graduate the next cohort and, and sort of slowly uh, uh, getting to hopefully or, or maybe increasing the numbers of veterinarians that we can graduate. 
And our earlier guest, I mean, he, he talked about uh, the stress faced by uh, many veterinarians uh, during the pandemic. Uh, what do you know about that? I mean, is, is it a big problem, the stress uh, and uh, the mental health of veterinarians during the pandemic? I mean, the, the health professions are, are known to be very stressful professions, very emotionally straining professions. And, and our uh, approach to that is to, to endow our students um, with um, first-day competencies that, that also includes very, very prominently being able to manage uh, stressful situations. We do continuing education, but uh, that is offset as uh, that's the reason why we talk today. That's offset by the, the simple fact that uh, but many veterinarians are overworked just because of a shortage of veterinarians, and that means more to do for the individual. All right. And uh, also, um, earlier we uh, talked about uh, many, uh, um, I mean, you, you mentioned that many people were adopting or, or getting pets during the pandemic. There's been an increase in uh, um, demand. I mean, what, what advice do you have for um, people who, who already adopted their pets or, or who want to adopt their pets? Um, Think, think uh, about what you uh, want to do, whether you can handle a pet and can handle a pet not only today, but tomorrow and in a year from now. Uh, really probe uh, your life circumstances, whether you are capable of handling a pet. Uh, it's, it's uh, you know, it, it's, um, it's work uh, and it's a commitment. Um, and that needs to be really thought through very, very carefully. Um, I, I'm uh, completely understanding that uh, people uh, in the pandemic wanted to, to get companions, uh, but now that we are hopefully getting out of the pandemic, uh, you know, everyday life kicks in and you still need to be able to manage your pet uh, when you have to go to work and not work from home, for example. So. Uh, Deliberation is very important in this case. Mm. Um, you know, earlier in our, our conversation with Sally Anderson and Dr. Essay, they, they, they were talking about how many vets have left Hong Kong over the pandemic. Now, in your program, have you had a recruitment problem getting people to come and teach the, the veterinary students? I mean, in, in the college, uh, I am I'm, uh, thankful and I am uh, a uh, surprised a little bit, but we have had very good success with recruitment. Um, our our um, department heads have done an, an excellent job in, in recruiting uh, excellent uh, new faculty. Also, we were able to uh, retain uh, our faculty, which is equally or maybe even more important. So uh, as I sit here today, I'm, I'm uh, fairly confident that uh, this will all work out. Uh, and um, we've been affected, no, no, no doubt, but uh, it could have been worse. Right. And uh, at the start of, uh, well, well, earlier, you, you said uh, that the uh, shortage of vets in Hong Kong um, is a problem. And uh, we know it's been going on for many years. And uh, you said it's not only a Hong Kong problem, it's a, a problem that's been it's experienced uh, worldwide. Um, how bad is the situation in other places? 
I, um, I mean, the, 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 the best indication probably of a shortage of veterinarians is that there is uh, veterinary programs mushrooming, for example, all over the United States and the United Kingdom. So there is this um, realization that there is a global uh, veterinary uh, vet shortage um, that is not uh, uh, good to meet the demand. So that's why... Uh, more programs start to, to quote-unquote, produce more veterinarians. All right, uh, Professor Osterito, we have to leave it here for now. Thanks again for joining us this morning. That's uh, Professor Nicolaus Osterito, the Dean of the Jockey Club College of Veterinary Medicine and Life Sciences at City University. It's now uh, 17 minutes past nine. Um, let's move on to our next topic, and it's about the uh, latest sparrow census carried out by the Bird Watching Society. The group says the uh, number of sparrows in Hong Kong has reached the highest level in five years. To tell us more, we're now joined by John Chong, a researcher officer at the Hong Kong Bird Watching Society. Good morning, Mr. Chong. Good morning. Thanks um, for joining thanks. us on the program. Thanks for your invitation. <laughs> then can you um, first tell us a bit more about your survey findings? Yeah, um, this is the seven years of our Sparrow Census. We started the Sparrow Census since uh, 2016, and the aim of it is to ha- uh, help to understand the urban ecosystem as well as let the public to try to participate in scientific studies. And uh, we got about 88 survey routes covering 18 districts in Hong Kong, and including six land use, the residential areas, the commercial areas, industrial areas, recreational areas, village-type areas, and agricultural areas. And along its route, each survey route, the surveyors will record the sparrow numbers, nest numbers, and the behaviors of the, of the sparrows. I mean, um, we try to estimate based on the uh, sparrow numbers they record uh, for the populations of sparrows in Hong Kong. And for this year, we estimated to have 287,000 sparrows in Hong Kong. And when compared to last year, which was about 211,000 uh, sparrows, uh, we record an increase of about 36% compared to last year's. Wow, so, uh, so yeah. 36% increase, and uh, that's quite significant. Do, do you have any ideas why? Um, to be very honest, we really don't know why we got such a large increase uh, for this year population size. And we did try to correlate some of the factors we could affect the sparrow populations, like the red factors, uh, the temperature, the humidity, and the rainfall. But we cannot find any particular correlations between uh, the weather and the uh, population size of the sparrow. Yeah, so, um, you know, I was looking this up about, about sparrow numbers in general, um, mm. and I found out that in India and Pakistan, for example, they've had 80% decline, 60% decline. And this has to do with deforestation and, mm. and basically destroying the habitat. Now, in reverse, over the pandemic, we've maybe had less construction work going on um, and basically just less disturbance to the environment. Have you looked into whether that's a contributory uh, factor into the sparrow numbers? Yeah, that's a, that's a very great question. Uh, indeed, in the situation in Hong Kong is, could be quite different from the foreign countries. Uh, although um, the 
common name for this bird, uh, for, for this bird is called tree sparrows. So they uh, in the natural uh, position or uh, in the natural environment, they will last in the forest. But in Hong Kong, we mostly find them in urban parks or uh, or so-called recreational areas or in uh, or in uh, residential areas or village type areas. So they are well adapted to urban lifestyles in Hong Kong. Um, so the deforestation or uh, habitat changes might not uh, pose threats to the uh, sparrow populations in Hong Kong. But uh, we also well noticed that some human-induced uh, potential threats uh, could also pose threats to the sparrows in Hong Kong, like using glue trap for trapping rodents, we could also accidentally trap wild animals like sparrows or even other birds or feral cats, which definitely harm, uh, harm or even kill uh, wild animals if you using, keep using this food trap. And moreover, pesticides. Uh, the pesticides would uh, likely kill invertebrates or insects, which are important food source for the sparrow during the breeding seasons of them. So, you know, sparrows are pretty low down the food chain as far as birds are concerned. 36% increase for the sparrows presumably means more food for the predators. What impact do you see overall? Um, do you think this increase will have on the bird population in general or, or, or just uh, uh, the ecosystem in general? Um, at the moment, uh, it is hard to tell whether we, we will see any um, very impact. Yeah, yeah. 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 It's, hard, it's hard to see any impact on the ecosystem uh, by itself because um, what 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 we think is that there will be natural fluctuations of uh, population size for all the wildlife animals in the world. So we can't tell this. The increase of this year is just natural fluctuations or due to other uh, unknown factors. Um, but what we really concern is the trend of the whole population, because as what you mentioned about uh, the global trend of the tree sparrow is, in, is indeed decreasing. But at moments, we cannot really deduce the trend for the local sparrow populations simply because we only got seven years data. And from maybe from public perspective, seven years is a long time. But for any similar studies conducted in European countries or in America, um, they have already conducted uh, they have already conducted uh, similar studies for the breeding uh, urban birds for from maybe eighties um, or nineties. So they have already got about. 20 or 30 years monitoring data. What other, what other kind of birds do you monitor? Uh, other than sparrows. Only um, sparrows? Okay. <laughs> yeah, they all look at the sparrows, but a different kind of sparrows, house sparrows. And mm. we, we got the tree sparrows, but yeah, they're, they're relatives. Mm. And. Mr. Chong, uh, according to your, your census, I'm just looking at uh, some of the results right now. Um, it says that Sham Shui Po uh, continues to have the highest density of sparrows out of all districts, uh, followed by Chun Moon and Wong Tai Sin. What's the situation like, uh, for example, in a Kowloon city? Yeah, we also record quite a number 
of uh, tree spells in Kowloon City. And yeah, we, we definitely see spells loves, uh, loves the old towns like what you mentioned, Samshui Po district, Kowloon City district, because the old buildings uh, provide excellent shelters for the spell to build and last on during the breeding season because uh, the eaves or uh, the pipes or the fans or the air conditioner can help them to get rid of the uh, predators of the sparrows so that yeah, we could increase the chance of their success in breeding. And a part of uh, Kowloon City will be re- redeveloped uh, soon. What sort of impact, or are you worried about uh, the impact it may have on the sparrow population? Yeah, um, the redevelopment of old towns or old buildings might might have an impact uh, to the sparrow populations, as I mentioned, because they love to pipes, eaves, or small cracks on the buildings. Um, and we particularly found that sparrows um, do not prefer the commercial areas with poor buildings or with um, floor-to-ceiling windows, which have less uh, so-called cracks or the uh, fans for them to build, a, uh, to build a nest on it. So I think um, the redevelopment could have some impact to the sparrow populations, but we do need to have another additional studies to focus on this topic. Maybe add this, uh, maybe add some, maybe have additional surveys uh, on a particular part, like in the Kowloon City, so that we can get a better understanding on it. So that's what you're going to be doing next. Um, yeah, for sure, we would um, like to at least continue our survey because, as I mentioned, long-term monitoring is really important to uh, let us to know the trend of this barrel. And, well, yeah, uh, we would also like to know the correlations uh, or between urbanizations and uh, global warming on the sparrow populations in Hong Kong, but that definitely requires longer period of time and continuous monitoring right. on our I, population. Okay, I have, a, I have a message here from Carlos, and uh, he wants to know, um, how did you count the number of sparrows to, to avoid a double or triple counting in your census? Oh, um, um, that's involved uh, the design of our census, which we have 88 one-kilometer uh, survey route, and each survey route uh, is likely to be in a straight line, so it can help. So if surveyors just walk from the start to the end, so it can minimize the impact of uh, double counting of the sparrows. Yeah. All right, and uh, I noticed that in your census uh, this time, you also looked at uh, other urban bird species, um, for example, yeah. spotted dove and uh, oriental magpie robin. Can you tell us a bit about uh, your findings there? Yeah, um, we, uh, besides the sparrow, we, uh, we also conduct a similar census on four other common urban species. I mentioned the spotted dove. The Oriental magpie robin, red with the bubble, and the red bearded blue magpie. And we started it uh, in 2020, and this is the third year we got it, and we, we got the data. And for the spotted dove, we got about 70,000 in the urban areas of Hong Kong. The magpie robin, we got uh, 23,000 of it. 
the red risk bubble, we got 80,000, which when compared to last year data, we got an increase of about 20,000 of them. And for the red to the blue map part, we got 3,000 of them. Yeah. And for the four species, they uh, tends to be, uh, be found in the urban parks from our study. So now you've got the numbers, what are you going to do in terms of finding out why there's an increase or, or more important, what will cause a mm. decrease? Yes, um, we, we, we also noticed uh, the, in, the, the increase of, uh, of the number for this year's survey. And because we actually include more words in our calculations for this year's survey data, so we don't know whether the increase is due to uh, the actual population size increase or just due to our increase in sampling methods. I think, my, I think my question is, now you've got the numbers, are you working with, um, uh, you know, environmentalists and biologists in general to figure out what the causes are? What the causes are? Yeah, what, 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 what causes the number of birds to increase or decrease in Hong Kong specifically? Are you working with biologists, for example, um, other than just counting them? No? <laughs> <laughs> At the moment, um, because I, I, I have to say this again, um, uh, it's really, really difficult for us to take out of factors which really affect the, 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 the increase in populations because Many, many factors could affect the populations of, um, of, of, of any wild birds. So um, it is really a hard job for us yes. to, 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 to um, try to pick one factor. Right. Uh, but so you will be carrying out more census yeah. to, to, uh, yeah. to check your data, I guess. All right. Good luck with that, Mr. Chong. We'll have to leave it here for now. Thanks again for joining us this morning. That's uh, John Chong, a research officer at the Hong Kong Bird Watching Society. Many thanks also to my co-host Jenny Lam and my producer Yuki. Now here's the weather. Mainly cloudy with a few showers. Very hot with sunny intervals during the day. Highs expected today of around 33 degrees. Winds moderate south to southeasterlies. And the outlook, a few more showers in the next couple of days, becoming mainly fine and very hot.